Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the show. Vasos is here. Aloha. Also, Rachel's here. Greetings. And sneaking up on the blind side, Ozzy Jane's here. Oh, good day. Everyone, Vasos was wondering, contemplating, procrastinating. Um, you were pondering on how many people do you think are in the sea at any one time in the world? Obviously, it's always changing, but Vasos thinks a minimum of half a million. I think he's way off. I think it's way more than that. Jane's here now. Ozzy Jane is here. Many beaches in Australia. It's just a massive island, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much everyone lives along the coastline. Exactly. Most of the population. How many do. people in Australia ish? Uh, 26 million. 20 26 Almost. million all available. Got the cozies at the ready <laughs> all the time. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. I... That's 26 million. <laughs> Jeez. One of our listeners texted uh-huh. in and said they're currently at Coogee Beach, Coogee Beach, which is probably one of the busiest beaches at any time also, of the year. Beautiful spelling. C double O G double E. Yeah. Coogee oh. Beach. Oh, no. yeah, good. Coogee yeah. Beach. It's such a great place to be. I was there actually on the 27th of December and it was shoulder to shoulder jam packed. <laughs> you couldn't move for space. Uh, but yeah, it's there's always just a minimum of, I don't know, at least 100 people even in the midst of winter, the depths of winter. All right, so there you beach. go. So it's, you're way off with half a minute. That's just one Do, beach. When you go off. to a beach, that Bournemouth beach, in the summer... <laughs> Piping hot day, Bournemouth Beach, everyone goes, oh, let's go, let's go. And let's say there's 50, 100,000 people on the beach. Of those, 1,000 will be in the sea. Well, how, where'd you get that from? Everyone, look at the photo that Jane's got of um, Coogee Beach. Yeah. Right? There's loads of people on the beach, hardly anyone in the sea. Well, 1,000 from 100,000 is 1%. Yeah. More than 1% of people who bathe on a beach on a nice day also venture into the water. Anything else to add, Jane? I don't think so. Morning, Chris. Speaking of how many people are in the sea at any one time, when they all leave, does the water level go down, says Paul in Wichita? Oh, that's a great question. Well, it must do, because they must displace Mm. the water level, mustn't they? That's what happens with um, icebergs. Yeah. Of course it is. Eli came up with a great question the other day over the bank holiday weekend, when there's time for that kind of thinking. He said, at what point... Does UK sterling, from a coinage point of view, not a note point of view, become worth more than the metal it's made from or the cost it takes to produce it? Because he thinks a 1p isn't worth as much as the metal and the production process. He thinks it's probably about a 20p because 20p's are small. I still do 20p's. I've seen 20p for ages. I thought they were maybe £2 coins the other day until I saw one. <laughs> I thought that, that was a bit of a flash in the pan. <laughs> But no, they're still there, aren't they? Yeah, they're still clanging around. What do you think about that? That's a good question. It's a good I question, isn't know. it? I mean, notes, straight off the bat, they're worth more. I mean, literally, they're worth more than the paper they're putting. Notes, money, absolute nonsense. Isn't it? That's where it all began to go wrong. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. What about AI? Go back to bartering. Well, yeah. The first person, because you know bartering used to be, I've got six bananas, you've got three potatoes, I'll swap you um, two of my bananas for one potato. Yeah. And then one day, somebody said, well, I've got some potatoes at home but I don't have them with me. If I write you out a promissory note 
saying that should you ever want to um, then come home to my house and get one of my uh, potatoes, you can. But And can I have two bananas via this promissory note? And that's where it all began to go. Mm. Absolutely, Pete Tong. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the further they distance us from money... So, you know, first of all, they were distancing us from bartering by this promissory note of pay, this piece of paper, not worth the paper it's printed on. And then you could exchange the promissory note for another promissory note. It's like, hang on a minute, what, where's all this? What's all this about? Yeah. And then credit cards, because, it, you know, at least you could feel you were spending a load of money. Credit cards, you couldn't. Now it's all digital. Oh, this that is the danger. Although I do, <laughs> I do remember when we were at university, yes. I had a friend who... Um, kept going and getting money out of the ATM and she was mm. like, it's so weird. Every time I go and get another £10 out, I've got more money in my account. And she was in her overdraft. Oh, She went to Cambridge? She went to Cambridge. Yeah. yeah. Studied medicine. Interesting. <laughs> doctor. Doctor. Good luck with that. Where, where's she a doctor? We need to warn people. I don't know. Yeah. Well, she won't probably know either. Wednesday plans. Good morning, Chris. I'm currently at Terminal 5 waiting to fly to Amsterdam for a business meeting and listening via the apps as Kirsty from Ascot. Who doesn't want to go to a business meeting in Amsterdam? What sort of business Who have you cares? got there? Who cares? It's Amsterdam. It's got damn in it. It's damn Amster. Sandra and Pearlie. Just got back from my fabulous dog walk. It's beautiful out there. It is beautiful out there, but it's chilly out there. Uh, newspaper stories. I've got a few. The team have got loads. Here's mine. The Times front page today. Could I be seduced by Aldi at last inside Times 2? I can never find Times 2. I always look for... Because there's some really interesting stories in Times 2. Yeah, I, they're very good. I can never find Times 2. Anyway, somebody from the Times has said, could I finally be seduced by Aldi? Why have you left it so long? Aldi and Little. You know, I was in Little only last night. Only last night. My biggest conundrum was how to land the countdown job full-time. Hosts hardball tactics with Channel 4, and this is Colin Murray bagging his dream role. How many times did your hubby win it? I think he won it three times as a contestant, mm -hmm. like as a normal... As a normie? As a normal contestant person, and then he just does Cats Does Countdown now because he likes that. Donald Trump is in the UK. Don't worry, he's not in England. He's not here for the coronation. We might have chancing, chancing his arm, you know, <laughs> if I'm around. Yeah. You know, if Evans doesn't want his Windsor Castle ticket, which I don't... Um, Imagine if I sent him instead. Psst, <laughs> Trump swings for golf resort visit. Um, there's a picture of him here playing golf at Turnbury yesterday. Um, he's 80-something. Is he 81 now? 76. What? 76. 76. Sorry, I thought he was 80-something. Uh, he's 76. He does have, unfortunately, I have to say this, he does have a really good backswing. He's got his left arm on the ball there. He's got a nice um, shoulder turn. His hip is pretty, his left hip is pretty strong. He's got nice leverage um, with his right knee. Uh, he seems to have quite a firm stance. And he has got a very thoughtful backswing, but an awful president and probably an awful person. Backswing, though. Yeah, can't fault Immense. him. I mean, people don't say you can tell a lot about somebody from their golf swing, but if they did, they would be wrong in his case. Which was the matter? That was very well delivered. God save us, plead anthems. I don't know if he's a. Anyway, God save us, plead anthems critics. Younger generations would rather have land of hope and glory. Would they? Would they really though? Who have they asked? Have they asked the young people? Times News, page three. I'm not going to argue with the Times. I love them like brothers and sisters. They're down on the 13th, 14th floor here. Yeah. Uh, from the day it debuted on a London stage in 1745, God Save the Queen was a hit. Describe <laughs> 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 as a hit in 1745. Anyway, ringtone. First performed at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. My goodness me, has the Theatre Royal Drury Lane been around since 1745? That's impressive, isn't it? Wow. Wow. 
that people love to come here from all over the world to look at our real-life museum, because that's what it is, isn't it? Other countries have to recreate what we have for real. Woohoo! Um, Paris is pretty similar, though, isn't it? Paris, yeah. Paris is good. Lots of places are gorgeous. Anyway, uh, it goes on here. Um, the patriotic fervour after a defeat of King George II's army in Scotland. The song proved so popular that the venue repeated it nightly. I can't go on with that story. Anyway, um, it's nice to have this in the background. For some more royal stories, last King of the Commonwealth. I said this as I came in today. The way I heard the Commonwealth's future has been increasingly in the spotlight since the death of the Queen. And they think that could be a good way forward. Celebrity royalty, which sort of justifies me carrying on playing this, yeah. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Will this be in the podcast or do you take the music out? Because none of this is going to make sense otherwise. No, keep it in. Keep it in. Good. Excellent. Does this prove it's love actually for Bill and Anna? I mean, who doesn't want this to be real, to be a thing, to be the truth, to be fact over fiction and fantasy? Bill Knight and Anna Wintour getting it together. Well, they said they've just been exceptional friends for two decades. Exceptional friends? Yeah. It says here in The Times 2, speculation over their friendship has been rife for almost a decade, but they have now gone public. Ryan on your parade. This is a picture of Ryan Reynolds and his pal Rob McElhenney. No, McElhenney. Think of chickens. Are riding high as they celebrate Wrexham's return to the Football League with an open-top bus parade. I didn't realise that Wrexham won the National League trophy with a record 111 points. Mm. It was a new record. And Rob and Ryan are flying the team to Las Vegas as a congratulations celebration. And they're going on tour and they're going to play Man United and Chelsea. Yeah. That'll be interesting matches. In America? Yeah. Wow. See, I have the feeling they're just going to move there. Like James Corden, but as a team, Wrexham are going to relocate. Just fly home for yes. their matches. Because that has happened in other sports, hasn't it? But they have, the NFL are, are desperate to break into Europe, so they have matched, some of their teams have to play home matches at like Wembley or Tottenham but Stadium. But didn't we have a London team once? And didn't our team go and play over there? In Rugby League, we had a Canadian team in Super League. Yeah, and there's a French team in Rugby Union, first class Rugby yeah. Union. The London Monarchs was the team, wasn't yeah. in the NFL. Imagine if, he says, like, lads, um, it's one game in Wrexham. Uh, the next game away, the next game in Los Angeles, the next game away, the next game back in Wrexham. Who's not going to like that? Mm. And what's going on with the Gareth Bale thing? They tried to sign Gareth Bale yesterday, Still didn't they? Still trying. Please, Gareth, please. Come on, Gareth. If you know Gareth Bale, tell him to sign for them. What a lap. Why wouldn't you do that? What a giggle. Who do you support? Gareth? We've got our own Gareth here. And he's watching Newport County. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a pretty bad thing. Okay. <laughs> His words, not mine. Other stories down in the papers. Parisians look forward to summer swimming in the Seine. Top of the hots, weather sways pop charts. Alternative scales commentator for Eurovision is revealed. And Rita Ora blown away by Australian trade consoles viral worm dance moves. All right. Um... So, uh, how, how was the coronation rehearsal for you? Because Vass was like, we cycled into the middle. What did you see? I saw it all. Go on. That's why I can't tell you. They asked me mm. not to say anything. They, yeah, they did. Uh, get, we had to fight you know Simon Endy. Do you know what happens in the end? <laughs> Go on. He gets crowned. No he way! Does. He gets yeah. crowned. It's oh, unbelievable. Spoiler. Unbelievable. Come on, you can't say that. It's crowned. There's all this pomp and pageantry and ceremony and all these lovely barriers. Uh, to stop people delivering things that they really need to on Wednesday morning and all the turning all these... They ran over, the rehearsals ran over this morning. Um, 
and Vass and I, we cycled it because you could cycle, you could walk through it, but you couldn't obviously drive a car yeah. through it. But the barriers, they're way out. So the barriers protecting um, the mouth start at the north side of Trafalgar Square in Tottenham Court Road. That's, I mean, for understandable reasons. Wow. So there's, a, there's not a ring of steel, there's like a triple ring of steel. Yeah. And but I couldn't get through from, I mean, from Victoria. Oh, bless you. I know. You're right, though. I know. I had to walk my oh, bike. Oh, did you? Mm. Oh. I kept trying to get You're on. Right. You're going to be all right. <laughs> there'd be police every 50 yards going, get off that. <laughs> Do you want anything? Can we get anything? <laughs> it was all, yeah, no, thank you. I was, I'm OK. <laughs> so Vassos, right, mm. he wants Alex Jones to move to Barnes. He said, Alex Jones isn't looking around Barnes. Well, why do you think she's staying with us in Marlow for the weekend? We're getting Alex, right? You've just I just heard you then trying to get Rachel to buy in Whitstable. Yep. Um, How'd it go, Rich? Well, it was just outside of Whitstable. It was. It was Are a you 20 minute walk. No. <laughs> right, good. Excellent. We're just talking about Bill Nye in the control room because I went to see the kids. Mm. So we had another chat. <laughs> the children. And we're talking about Bill Nye and Bill Nye and um, Al Anna Winter. And we think they're we think they're an item. We think they're an item. It doesn't matter if they're not. But they're very look. They're extremely good friends. They're at that um, that point in their life where they say sometimes you meet three perfect partners, don't you? And um, one when you're young and you're both bright and beautiful young things, and you just want to get it on and you just want to have all the fun. And then the second. You know, if you want to have kids together, not everybody does, but if you do, then the perfect partner to produce the perfect children for you, and then you need a companion. Hopefully you get, you know, all those in one person. Um, but Bill Nye and Anna Wintour, know whatever they're up to, right, um, you know, they're at that time in life where it's about more about companionship and like-mindedness. You know, he has always loved his fashion. He reminds me of Charlie Watts, the way he dri uh, drives. Charlie Watts didn't drive. I don't think Bill Nye does either. That's probably what I was thinking there. But the way he dresses, he loves his fashion. He's always been very debonair. And we were talking about how come he's so cool. And a friend of mine did a podcast with him. And I, you know, I've actually been out with Bill Nye a couple of times and had a few beers with him. This is when he was, I'll tell you how long ago it was, because it was when he was still with his wife, which was, um, I don't know, it must be 20 years ago now. Um, and we found ourselves at the bar. There was me, him, his wife, and Tim Burton. And we had a right laugh. <laughs> and I had to leave him because I started to slur my words. And I thought, this is the kind of company I don't really want to slur my words in front of. And for, for once, I went home early or well, went somewhere yeah. else where I could slur my words, probably. Um, and I was talking about the fact that Bill didn't really, you know, he didn't really make it until Love Actually. You know, that's that's what brought him... You know, he was always working in the National Theatre and various places like that. He wanted to be an actor. He never thought he was good enough. It's, he's a really cool guy. He's, you know, he's um, he, he wears his talent very lightly on his sleeve. He's very grounded. He doesn't take himself at all seriously. You know, he's got a bro um, who's very similar to him as well. But the Love Actually gig was really interesting because he wasn't up for it. He was... So sometimes when they're when they're writing a script or they're drafting or they, they want table reads and they employ actors to come and table read for them. So they employ qualified actors to come and table read for them. But it is, an, it is a mutual understanding within the business, it's very well known, that this is not an audition and you are in no way up for the part but we'll pay you 500 quid or whatever the going rate is mm. for you to read. Um, and Bill Nye was told that by his agent. So, you know, uh, Richard Curtis has a new film. He wants a table read and he thinks you'd be great at the table read. But, of course, you know the score. And Bill said, yeah, I do know the score. And he thought about it. And then he says, oh, I wouldn't mind an audition. Don't really want to do the table read. But he did the table read anyway for this set fee. And they all said, he's the guy. <laughs> and then he got the job. Wow. And then, you know, now he's doing whatever he's yeah. doing or not doing with Anna Wintour over there. 
She's got has she got an a house in the Hamptons or has she got like all the houses in the Hamptons or I would, I would have in Maine so. or somewhere I like that. I would have thought so. But they, they they look like a great couple, don't they? Yeah. They seem to I mean, what do I know? But they seem to be well suited. Everybody's raving about it. that's cool, isn't it? So you want you want Alex Jones to come and live in Barnes. She's not. She's going to come and live in Marlow because she's stay, she's she's immersing herself in the the whole atmos, the environment of Marlow for two nights. We're having a pool party with Rachel. Rachel, you're helping me gild the lily yeah. to get Alex to move near us. Yeah, yeah. Because I love Alex. Here, you'll be about forty minutes from me. I love Charlie. I sent her a new house that only came on yesterday. I uh, sent it to her at half past seven. She texts me, "Great, this looks great." At twenty past ten last night. Thanks for that, Al. <laughs> you know you can turn your phone on. Um, do not disturb. It was a slight vibration kind of thing. You can turn on no disturby, but what happens is when you send a message to someone and it does that. Just below the message in blue, it says this person has notifications off. Would you like to notify them anyway? And you can do that. You can break through their notification off. So, yeah. Do you know that? Notify no. anyway. Yeah, notify anyway. Yeah. And uh, I texted back because I thought it was important. You know, I thought, oh. I said, yes, uh, great. I'm really pleased. I may be dreaming this asleep. And this, I didn't, she didn't reply. So, no, so we'll she see. Really felt really bad. Well, I didn't, I didn't, make, I didn't want to make her feel bad. I know I really I know I really didn't want to make her feel bad. I just didn't want her to text again. Yeah. <laughs> Stop texting. Yeah, please. So Rich Roll is my favourite podcaster on the planet. He's also my favourite plant-based person, second only to my wife Natasha. Yeah, you may have heard of him. Lots of people who like, love this show love him too. Lots of people found this show via his podcast. Lots of people found his podcast via this show. I've been to his house in Malibu Canyon. He's coming to our house today, effectively. And there's so much to talk to him about. But he has a theory via his mate, Kevin Kelly, who's the latest guest on his podcast. And it's Kevin Kelly's a genius, by the way. Kevin Kelly's a sort of really wise, older sage. He's very sort of, he's very Bill Nye and the wintry. He's that generation. And he's written all these books. He's also called a futurist. And, you know, futurists basically are called such and, you know, identified as such because they recognise patterns and where things are going. And they don't always get it right, but they have a better idea than most of us where most things are going. And it was I mentioned about AI on the show yesterday and about why we shouldn't be so worried about it because if you think about it, we went to the moon, uh, but then we didn't do it much after that. You know, it didn't really get any further than that. And AI is at a point now where this exponential curve has happened and it's going to plateau. You don't need to worry about it. It's going to be fine. It's like it's like uh, plane travel. You know, uh, Concorde was quicker um, and now Concorde doesn't exist anymore. And that was the fastest passenger plane in the world. And that's 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 gone back. Why backwards, doesn't not it exist anymore? Um, because it didn't because it well, the first of all, there was that terrible crash okay. with the French Concorde. Yeah. And then they were all grounded. And then, you know, it was it was often cited as a sort of great sort of signature um, poster plane for BA and for Air France, but actually sometimes it didn't make that much money. Richard Branson tried to buy a Concorde and that wasn't the issue because he could buy a Concorde because Air France were willing to sell him a Concorde because he wanted a virgin Concorde. But what he couldn't buy was the stretchy paint, which BA owned the um, copyright to, the patent to, because Concorde stretched by six inches every time it went supersonic and the paint therefore had to stretch as well. And there was a point just behind the cockpit that you could put your hand into, your palm your hand into vertically and then when it went supersonic, you could actually turn your hand horizontally wow. and it would fit. And I know that because I did it. I actually flew in the cockpit. I landed at JFK in Con on Concorde. I went in the Air France one and the, I was very lucky. I went to the Caribbean. In what, it took us like half an hour to get to the Caribbean. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. It's ace. 
Um, and every time Concord went to the Caribbean, it did a flyby. It was given permission to to literally do a flyby on the beach, and people absolutely loved it. You could set your watch by it at Heathrow, couldn't you, Bassos? Yeah, because uh, it was so loud. And if you, yeah, pe people would Quarter always past three like, every afternoon. Boom on, there you on, go. The, on the flight literally path. boom. You go ah. Oh live on the flight path. Apart from Concord, everyone was really happy for Concord to disturb their afternoons. Like, oh, look, it's Concord. And you would always arrive in New York or the Caribbean before you left. Yeah, it was which amazing. Is awesome. It was amazing. Is it? You know, 100 seats in the, the BA Concord, 96 seats in the Air France Concorde because they took a couple out so you had more legroom because it was very tight. It was like a little sports car. It was actually quite uncomfortable, but it was brilliant to be on it. Of course it was. Because when you went to... Heathrow, there was the there was you know the lounge you know the 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 concourse, and then there was the business lounge, and then there was the first class lounge, and then there was the Concorde lounge, and if you were walking past the first class lounge, all the first class passengers looked and thought they're going on Concorde, and there was little Concorde, little dinky Concorde, which could fit in most people's hand luggage because it was very dinky. You can go and see one now at um at Brooklyn's because they have one there. You can go and see it whenever you want. It's great. Wow. Anyway, uh, Kevin Kelly tells us about AI, and you don't need to worry about it because he's very clever. He's a futurist. Um, he then shared with Rich some of the points he made in a New York Times article. Kevin Kelly wrote this article for the New York Times. He says here in his tweet thread to the, New York, to the article, In today's New York Times, I suggest a few things we may find cringeworthy and embarrassing in the future when we look back. We won't be around for most of them. But he says things like plastic packaging on food. People are going to look back and they go, what what was that about? <laughs> Why did they do that? <laughs> That's just crazy. The food was fresh. Nature makes sure of it. Um, the fresher it is, the better it is for you. Um, and you packing it in plastic, which means it's not as good for you because it's going to last longer. So it's going to be grown uh, to last longer. And then you have all that nonsense with... Um, the fact that we're all eating a credit card's worth of plastic every week, which is why lots of people are having less babies because mm. we're becoming, what's the, what's the thing? Impotent. You, impotent, yeah. Uh, he also says um, the royal family, our royal family, will look back and they go, it lasted that? They let it go on for that long? Um, Crocs. She's not a fan of Crocs. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know I why. Love I love Crocs. I, I, love Crocs. I, I do. We can ask Rich Big when he comes. Look, he's Rich's friend, not mine. Okay. Yep. Okay, but I do like him. I do like him. If you want to hear a really interesting podcast, Rich Roll's last podcast, it dropped on Monday uh, with Kevin Kelly. It's so, so interesting. Croc, uh, Crocs. I don't know what his, his beef is with Crocs. Uh, dog prams. Mm. I know that we like, you know, it's, it's it's nice for people whose doggies can't walk anymore, but they do look a bit daft. We talked about it yesterday. Yeah, but it's a practical No, news. no, it's fine. It's, it's all right. It's all right. Names that our parents give us. Yeah. He says that that'll, you will look back and they're going, what, we were called Andrew just because mum and dad thought it was a good idea or, or, or Vassos or, or Christopher. And he says that you'll be able to pick your own name in the future. Well, you can now. Yeah, yeah. you can now, but it's not, it's, there's a little bit of friction there and it's frowned upon and you might hurt your mum and dad's feelings. <laughs> Multiple partners. He says, you know, why, why did we have to marry someone and sign on a dotted line and, and commit our future to this one person? That's not normal. Um, he says that's not normal at all um his biggest thing though is to do with schools and i got and this is the one for rishi sunak and keir starmer if you want to win the next election how about this how about this you can take your holidays from school whenever you want and none of this six weeks to eight weeks off in the summer nonsense absolute nonsense because the way that kids can learn now 
um, you know, on computers, work from home, strike days, still lessons going on when the teachers are there, you know, um, or if you're off school, then you still work from home. And the things they're teaching at school still that they, they've been teaching for 150 years, which is no longer relevant. In really all you need to kids we need to teach kids is how to learn, not what to learn, because they've got everything they they've got the what on their laptop. You know, obviously you need the theories and the practicals, you know, to go with the theories. You need all that, you need the camaraderie, you need the community. But it's so expensive for people to go on holiday, you know, and all the travel companies have got them by the short and curlies, you know. Um, and for lots of parents, six weeks to eight weeks off in the summer, it's really difficult to cope with. Why do we do it? We do it because we've always done it. And he says that whoever, if somebody comes into power somewhere and says, look, take your holidays whenever you like. And um, maybe with the teacher's dispute, this is, could be a this could be a quid pro quo. Maybe this, this, I don't know if teachers would want less time off in the summer. And I was trying to do the math. You know, so you got you got six to eight weeks off in the summer. You add that to your half terms, which are usually two weeks or one week, aren't you? You know, and what would that work out at? And you could take holidays when you wanted, and then the travel companies would have to become more competitive, um, and maybe people would have a better time. But why do we do all this? Why do we? You should all the schools should be at school for the exam period, and that should be an identifiable four weeks of the year. So yeah. everybody's mm. at school for that. England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, Northern Ireland. Um, or Northern Ireland, not Ireland. Um, and, uh, but the rest of it, do you know what you want? I think that's an excellent plan. So do I. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, anyway, it's not mine. And it's not Rich's. It's Kevin Kelly's. If Kevin Kelly really exists, if Rich didn't make him up. With his AI. Maybe AI yeah. is yeah. rocking. I'm definitely with him on the school holidays and I'm definitely with him on the plastic over food. But the Crocs. But he lost me on Crocs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah he got you back though. Yeah, don't did. mess with the Crocs. I don't know what the Crocs is. There's just, a, he, there's just a picture of them on the front page of the article from the New York Times. So I'm presuming there's Prince Charles looking very unhappy about being mm. included, which is fair <laughs> enough. And he allows Crocs, doesn't he? Because David Hockney turned up at the palace in, in yellow Crocs, Crocs and yeah. rocked the Crocs. I know. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Vasos, please give this all of the beans. He's the endurance athlete turned best-selling author and podcast colossus. 752 episodes of the ear-pleasing, life-improving, chart-topping, rich roll podcast are available now, and we've loved every single one of them. So let's rich roll out the red carpet for Rich Roll! Yeah, Rich Roll in the house! <laughs> Live from the top of the tower. Oh, Rich, it's so great to see you in our studio. I'm so happy to <laughs> be here uh delighted been looking forward to this for a very long time ever since you visited me in los angeles and i've just loved kind of watching your trajectory not only as a broadcaster but as a running enthusiast a, an ambassador of this sport that we both love and the way that you empower so many people to kind of do hard things and, and test themselves so it's it's really an honor well you wrote the playbook thanks for saying that vasos he he 
he used this, I don't know, some kind of voodoo on me like 10 years ago and viral osmosis got me running. It was quite crazy. But he, he's, the, he's the guy. To be, I, hate, I hate saying it out loud to him. But um, Rachel, you also ran a marathon as well, didn't you, with us? Yeah. Mira's run a marathon. Aussie Jane ran a marathon. Brett, has, he's in for Western State, which I think I know, he just probably, told me about that. Do you, yeah. Is it a requirement that you have to be a runner to, to work here now? Is that the deal? No, but it's just all happened. And Kedge, who t took your photographs, he ran the marathon. He ran a half marathon a couple of weeks ago. It's yeah. all good. Um, just tell us how green is your valley in Malibu Canyon at the moment? The greenest. It has turned into Ireland out my way. The desert has bloomed. Uh, we had a period of incessant rain over the last several months, and it's amazing to see the earth come alive. Like, I've never seen the hills around where I live, which is northwest of Los Angeles in the Santa Monica mountain range, which... I don't know if they're mountains, they're sort of hills, but a beautiful place to train and live. And yeah, I mean, the, the flowers, the wildflowers, the greenery, it's, it's just, it's paradise, it's unbelievable. Because we forget, don't we? Well, I forget, you know, I used to live there, but I still forget about it. You know, you don't drive to the desert. You don't drive north or south or, you know, east inland to the desert. You are in the desert. Los Angeles was built in a desert. Yes, yeah, very much so. And, and usually the hills around where I live, uh, are quite brown. Uh, everything is, is desiccated. It's incredibly dry. But due to the rains, yes, it's alive. And it's just, it's a beautiful kind of uh, example or testament to uh, the resiliency of, of the planet. And I think that resiliency is also, you know, endemic to who we are as human beings. Like we can bounce back from challenges, we can tackle obstacles. And running, as you know, is just this beautiful vehicle for experiencing, you know, the super bloom of the hills in our own kind of spirit and soul. Yeah, so the last time Tash and I were there in August, we ran up, um, up to, I can't remember, one of the canyons. Uh, it's the one with the football pitch at the bottom. Um, and, you know, because we were running and it was really unbelievably hot and they are mountains because if it's over a thousand feet, it's a mountain yeah. and they're so high, you know, and then you, you, you sort of traverse one mountain and then you get to the top of the next one, you look down on the first one that you climb run to the top of and we were so much cooler than people who were walking with like liters and liters of water because we were running mm -hmm. so it was all right in a way you know maybe it wasn't that advisable but it was absolutely stunning and very quickly you get so high up that santa monica is a little sort of postage stamp you know off it way off in the distance but living around there it must be amazing um you know you can only really judge people who do what we do by that, their last thing. You know, they, they say that um, form is temporary and class is permanent, and that is true to a certain extent. But, you know, um, I'm going to judge you by your last two podcasts, not just the one, the last two, because right, they've been it. amongst my favourites. Um, so Kevin Kelly, who was on this week, and uh, Zach Bush, who was on the week before. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Zach, for me, is the GOAT. Uh, for, first of all, before we go any further, why don't you frame who you are in a minute and where you came from and then let's get on to Zach and let's go back to how come California is um, is showing, uh, you know, uh, greener, more sort of uh, life-affirming shoots than ever before because he talks about that. Yeah, sure. So uh, the, the thumbnail short version, I suppose, is uh, recovering alcoholic and recovering lawyer turned uh, ultra-distance triathlete turned uh, author and podcast host. So I've been hosting a podcast for the last 10 years uh, I started that on the heels of my book, Finding Ultra, coming out in 2012, which kind of tells my story through addiction and recovery and, and, and renewal through a new relationship with food and fitness uh, and, and kind of my adventures in the world of ultra-distance triathlon. And the podcast was launched as an, sort of an experiment in 
continuing to extend my learning and my growth because I realized that I had unlocked so much uh, latent potential within me as a 40 plus year old man who was doing things athletically that I didn't think possible. And it made me realize that uh, I had other areas of untapped potential mentally, emotionally, spiritually that I wanted to explore. And the podcast has been a vehicle for my own personal growth and just a gift to be able to then share what I'm learning with an audience that over time has has grown to be quite large and in no small part due to you being my uh, adjunct publicist <laughs> here you're, you're in the United Kingdom. <laughs> when uh when when zach braff came and did your show recently he texted me afterwards and he's like i'm almost done uh with my london publicity tour for your podcast so i appreciate like, oh, all wow. that you always you know mentioning the show because it, it, it's, it's so it is it's been life-changing you mm-hmm. your podcast has changed my life and only for the better and you know exponentially for the better infinitely for the better and and it continues to do so, and it's always you've never done a bad podcast. You do, you can't do a bad podcast. Mm. No, you haven't. You might think that, but I'm I'm your audience. You're you. It's different. Mm. You know, you you we feel you know uncomfortable. I, I often ask people in the street. They come up to me and they say about the show, and I say, well, what don't you like about it? I say I like everything about it. Should we change anything? No, we change it? I think we should change a thousand things, as I know you do sometimes yeah. about your podcast. Yeah. Um, you get people on who have highly achieved or had profound experiences of life and you get their greatest hits because you're on our show. We can get the greatest hits of the greatest hits. Let's do it. So um, let's talk about Dr. Zach Bush. So what does he say? Who, First of all, who is he? And what does he say we should do for the future of the human species, safeguarding the sustainability, the survivability of the human species going forward? Wow, that's that's a tough question. The, I don't know about you, but after I have these conversations, then I then I summarily sort of forget what we talked about, and often there's quite a gap of time in between when I record Sorry, them and I when apologize. I release them. Uh, so you might be more fresh on this than than myself, but I would say that uh, uh, what was the first part of the question? So um, Zach talks about the fact that it's about our interbeing with everything. And he talks about the fact that the elements yes. which are fire, air, earth and water are one thing, but the human species may be the fifth element. And what we have to do is consider our, our, our situation in that sort of in that, those five pillars. And it's about not as de- sort of deploying those for our own benefit, but realizing our place within that pattern. Sure. Uh, just to backtrack a little bit, Zach is a triple board certified physician. I met him several years ago at a conference. Uh, he wasn't even speaking at the conference, but I had a couple conversations with him. He blew my mind. I said, you have to come on my show. And that first episode that we did several years ago uh, was was kind of a landmark episode in the history of the show. He's since been on now five times, and, and now he does lots of podcasts, and he's kind of out in the world. I love when I can like birth somebody, you know, into the kind of uh, mainstream ethos. But essentially, you know, beyond him just being a medical doctor, he's a very um, kind of broad, deep thinker who almost a philosopher of sorts with a spiritual bent to um, you know how he sees the world and thinks about it and the core theme of his advocacy is rooted in this idea that that you know man at some point decided that we were separate from nature and essentially this is the root of all ill and wrong and we need to kind of realize and embrace the fact that we are not separate from nature that we are nature and until we find a way to integrate, humanity into the kind of um, uh, sustainable flow of the Earth's rhythm and cadence, 
uh, we're doomed, right? Like, but it's an opportunity. And I think that uh, if you look at nature, nature is never in a hurry, and yet everything always gets done on time, right? And we have to figure out a way for us as a collective to do the same for ourselves. And you know, that's not the way that uh, at least Western society is constructed. Um, but I think that we are in a very interesting time where people are becoming um, really excited about new modalities for living. I mean, we see the explosion of wellness and the way that people are thinking about how, how they take care of themselves. And, and we're at, a, at an inflection point on the planet where we really do have to shoulder the responsibility for um, not just our own individual wants and needs and desires, but those of the whole. And I think that that is exciting. And I think despite the doom and gloom aspect, you could look at this as like, oh, no, we're, we're you know, we're, we're going off a cliff here. Um, I'm excited about the possibility of a real kind of shift in consciousness. Yes. He talks about the fact that the, our air and our water will sort itself out, doesn't he? He says that you close the carbon cycle, you close mm. the pollution cycle. We can help to do that because we, we can come up with, with technologies already in process. He has a company that does all this, doesn't he, at the moment? Yeah, he's got a bunch of different entities. But he says that ultimately that will all sort itself out. Whether we're here to witness that, different question. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, the earth is going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the it's, real question. All this 60 save the what planet are we nonsense. Gonna do? Yeah, forget What's it. What's going to happen to us? Save yourselves. So Kev Kelly was on this week. And, you know, Rich has done 752 of these. And they're also they're so fantastic. They're so fantastic. Um, Kevin Kelly is this crazy old wise, wise sage, isn't he? And you describe him as a futurist because he can see patterns and things like that. And before you came on an hour ago, I said, uh, Rich has got, Rich can tell um, Rishi Sunak, who's our prime minister, or he can tell um, Sakia Starmer, who's the leader of the opposition, how to win the next election. And I said, you could do this. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was via Kevin's idea about the fact that we should all just take school holidays whenever we like. Mm. Think big things like that. What else did he have to say? Well, he's an interesting, uh, very interesting figure, uh, very influential in the tech space as somebody who, you know, has, as, as you mentioned, is able to see patterns over time in the macro sense and is very well regarded for his kind of opinions. He's a co-founder of Wired Magazine, and he has sort of an Amish beard, and he looks a little bit like a gnome, and he's an elder, <laughs> right? And he's very wise. Uh, and, you know, he has a lot of great advice. I mean, he just came out with this book called Excellent Advice for Living. I mean, it says it right on the title, and it is certainly packed with that. Um, one of the things that he said that I think about a lot is, this idea of not trying to be the best, but trying to be the only. Like yeah. there is only one Chris Evans. There's only one person who could host this show. You're not replaceable in that regard because you found this thing. Your life, you know, kind of course has has taken you through this path that has delivered you to this place where you've collected all these experiences that make you the only person that could adequately host the Chris Evans <laughs> breakfast show, right? With I'm the only one who can host the rich. I can't be fired from my own pot. You know, it's like, and, and I think, you know, it's a call to action to everybody. Like what I read into that or what I kind of infer from that is this idea that we all have something unique and special about us. And rather than trying to figure out how to fit into society, it's about cultivating your own voice, like going inside and finding, you know, that authentic authenticity within you and bringing expression to that and having the courage to do that. And I think that will lead you on a path that over time 
you, like yourself, will collect experiences that make you very unique in whatever it is. And you'll find yourself in a situation where you're the only person for whatever job it is that you found yourself in. How many times do you take something from the podcast and change your life as a result of it? It's rarely a binary like that. It's more like an osmosis thing. Yeah, yeah, like you yeah. talk to way more people than I do, right? And it just goes into the soup and gets mixed in. <laughs> and I think, you know, very subtly over time, you it shifts your worldview or it opens you up to different ideas and different modalities. So it's rare. I mean, I, I would say maybe like there's a protocol, like somebody will come in and say, do this in the morning or whatever. And it's very specific. And maybe I'll try that for a time or that will stick or, or it won't. But I think it, it puts me in a beginner's mind and allows me to hold on to my ideas a little bit more loosely. And I find myself encouraged to kind of be in more of an exploratory mode with my life. Who's on your hit list still? Hit list for, for the Guess, podcast? Yeah. <sighs> As Will Smith being on it, is he and has yes, uh, he's definitely he, been on it, hasn't he? he? He's on it though, but you know, I don't know. I think he's uh, he's a little underground right now. Uh, yeah, still. he lives around the corner, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, and he he does. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen him. He lives nearby. I've yeah. never seen him in person. Um, I know his I know his kids a little bit. How is that? But... How is the aftermath of that? How is because Chris Rock? Chris Rock has said, not in as many words, but. Basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He has said it was literally the snap, uh, the slap that he needed to wake him up. And apparently he's killing it now. He's crushing it now with this new set of his. Yeah, with Chris, the Chris Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the, the special that he did where it. he talked no, is it, about it? It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, he at the very end, he addresses the whole Will thing. Right. And it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, he's definitely upset about it for sure. And it will be uh, fascinating to watch how Will Smith kind of maneuvers from here to rehabilitate his image what's the word on the street or the word the whisper in the mountains i don't know that i have any kind of secret <laughs> wisdom about that just because he lives around the corner from me and ensconced behind a gate i don't, I don't know what's going you've on never over there seen him because you've been there a long time haven't you i jaden's out and about I yeah see i know him. you talk I about see, i see him regularly will you know will not so much but hit list i really wanted to get brad wiggins while i was here but right. sir bradley uh no no go on that really but I heard him on Fern Cotton's podcast, and I was really moved by how open and vulnerable he was about, um, you know, his experience with fame and the aftermath of all of his Tour de France victories yeah. and all of that. And I, I, I think that that would make for a, a really great podcast. We've had him booked on a couple of times, and he cancelled mm. at the last minute both times. So he clearly, I mean, he must trust Fern immensely, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He must know her or something like that, I would imagine. Yeah, I suspect. But anyway, you know, I've got a long list of people. We'll see. Yeah. You know? So where, where, when was the first time you sat behind a microphone? Where was it? Where'd you get the microphone from? <laughs> all, all that kind of stuff, you know? It's just like anything. I mean, I think I started the podcast in a warehouse on a Hawaiian island in the winter of 2012 as an experiment using my, my two stepsons are in a band, they're musicians, and they had musical equipment. And I just used a mic that was intended for like, you know, musical instruments and asked them to figure out how to plug these things into something that could be recorded. And my wife, Julie, and I sat down and had a conversation without any intention of whether I would do an episode two. Now, podcasting is a whole thing. It's an industry. People have strategy and you have to do it this way. I mean, this was a time where it was not cool to have a podcast. Um, 10 years ago. Nobody, yeah, there was no competition. People so weren't Joe watching Rogan shows. So Joe Rogan was 12 years ago. 
I was, yeah. So I, yeah, so I had done his show. So I'd been a guest on a couple podcasts and more importantly, I had become a fan of podcasting because I was training for these ultra races where I would have to go out and run for hours and hours and hours or be on my bike an entire day. And I realized that I couldn't just listen to music, but I needed something to occupy my mind. And I stumbled into podcasts, which at, the, at that time uh, was kind of a hassle to listen to. You had to go on iTunes. There was no podcast app or anything like that. You had to find shows that you might be interested in, download the MP3s, bounce them to your iPod and make a playlist. So you had to make an effort. You had to really be intentional about it. But I would make these playlists and I would listen to these podcasts. And I just thought, I'm learning so much. This is incredible. <laughs> I was the only person I knew that was listening to podcasts at the time. And I was talking about it and people were just looking at me strangely. So I had consumed so many podcasts over a number of years that when I hit record at a moment where it wasn't competitive and people weren't like rallying to start shows, um, that I felt like I had some kind of, not skill, but at least uh, context for what I was doing. And I thought, I know a few people. And the first one I did was fun. And we got almost no listeners, but it went like straight to the top of the chart because <laughs> nobody had podcast, at least in that kind of health and wellness space. Like yeah. it, it went to like top three or whatever in that category with like maybe a thousand people listen to it or something like that. How and many that was now? How many people encouragement. Um, Average, yeah, better. I mean, it varies, but you know, anywhere from uh, like, I don't know, four or 500,000 to well over a million, depending wow. upon the episode. So yeah. cool. And then there's YouTube and all that. And, you know, it's, it's much more complicated and kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, all these inputs now that didn't exist back in the day when it was a lot more simple. And you, you nearly went broke, didn't you? A couple of times. Yes. Tell yeah, us about yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, we had some lean years, even after my book, Finding Ultra came out. Uh, it did fine, but publishing isn't the business you want to be in if you want to support a family. And I had four kids and had made the commitment to stop being a lawyer. I had this book out and I was like, I am in this place for the rebirth of a new thing. And I didn't know what that would be, uh, but I trusted in the universe and I felt like, uh, you know, I was onto something interesting and was really passionate about exploring ideas, but I had no um sense of how i could turn that into something that would like pay the mortgage and so we went through some really lean years uh, almost lost our house had cars repossessed couldn't even pay to have our garbage picked up it's shocking that our house was not foreclosed on we came very close to that um, and it, it it was really a test of faith and i have to credit julie my wife i mean she was really the strength in this equation that um, you know, kept me kind of moving forward because there were many times where I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go back and be a lawyer. This is not working. No. Um, but over time, it's just built and built and built. I mean, I did the podcast for years before we ever did an ad, I know. you know, because it just the audience size wasn't big. And the ad, the whole ad thing didn't come until much later. And now it's like this profitable venture and people look at me and want entrepreneurial advice, which is hilarious uh. because I don't consider myself a business person <laughs> in any regard. So it's now this very strange and surreal embarrassment of riches. Like I get stopped on, I got stopped on the street just walking over here today, you know, people listening to the show. And uh, I just feel incredibly grateful that, um, that A, it all worked out, but 
the idea that I get to get up, and I'm sure you share this sense, that you get to talk to interesting people. Like, you, I would do it anyway. Like, it's fun, right? I get to meet all these cool people, and then I get to share it, and then people find value in that, and I can support my family doing it. Like, it's just the greatest. So you went from Hawaii. You were you had to go live in the good life. That was a whole experiment, which you don't, probably don't have time to talk about. But then you moved up to Malibu Canyon, and then the shipping container came on the scene. I've been in the shipping container. Yeah. Your, your studio is so cool, man. So it was an office slash studio, and it's still there, isn't it? So, yeah, I think where, well, where we did our recording was yeah. in a room in the house uh, that we converted into like a makeshift studio where right. I did the podcast for, for you know, a handful of years. But behind that, next to the house, we have two shipping containers that are converted. One is a bedroom. The other one is like a home office. But we have a third shipping container. You got to come out to LA. We're building it right now. A 40 foot one where I'm building a home gym and like a How cold plunge and a sauna. Where'd you get a shipping, the shipping container, container itself is not expensive, right? Uh, but you have to build a foundation and then you got to like, you know, insulate it and drywall it and run electric and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So you can do it on the cheap and then it just kind of goes up from there. Uh, depending upon how because they crisscross them and they build beautiful houses out of them as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, you and can this, make like really cool stuff. Yeah, so. and there's the tiny house channel sure. as well. Yeah, that's yeah, all going on. So there. we're building a little container village nice. right now, Chris. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. And and then you see, recently moved a year ago now to to a bigger place. Uh, this yeah. Is so we so what happened was when the when the pandemic hit and everything locked down, I couldn't have people coming over to my house, obvious for obvious reasons. Um, and like many people resorted to doing some zoom stuff and I just, you know, I couldn't get down with the zoom thing. You had quite For a hard me, time with COVID, like, didn't you, as a family? What's that? You had quite psychologically, you had quite a tough time. With yeah, COVID. it was, it was difficult. Uh, well, there was, there were some positives, a lot of negatives. I mean, our two, uh, older boys, my stepsons had already moved out. They moved back home. They're still at home. Uh, they're 28 and 26 now, and it's been great to have them. So the family was together. The important things, you know, we're all good. Uh, our 15 year old, I mean, that was, it's tough. And I have a 19 year old now, 19 year old daughter, like for at that age to, you know, have your whole life pulled out from underneath you was, was very challenging. But to answer your question, yeah, we, we then, um, during the pandemic, like found a warehouse and, and built it out and like built a whole studio. It's like a 10 minute drive from my house. And who's now. in the team? How many, six, seven people in the team? Yeah, I mean, we have we have th like three full time and then we have a handful of maybe five or six people that work part time. So I've got a whole team and now they have a place to go and work. And yeah, it's I walk in. I'm like, this is crazy. You know, like this yeah. started as just, you know, the most homespun DIY thing ever. And now it's like, you know, this institution, which is wild. And are you fighting them off, the advertisers? Do you do they have to form a queue outside? Um, I mean, we're really selective about the partners that we work with. I take those relationships really seriously, and a lot goes into the decision about who to bring on as a podcast sponsor. Um, so, yeah, we turn away way more than we than we bring on, but um, it's been great. You know, I love the partners that we work with. I believe in the products that you know I I promote on the show. And you're very um, good at it. I, you, <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah. you do sell sell them so well. I, the Roka, the I have the Roka glasses on. I'm wearing the Whoop right now. Yeah, Come and on, the Aura Chris. Ring as well. Yeah. You got all that going on. Um, so 
Adam Skolnick, my I love Adam mm. um, from He's Roland. He's going to be so happy. Uh, well, I love him. There. I love him. And Roland, you know, he goes through these different machinations because you're always thinking one thing about it or another thing about it. But I love it. So this pops up. It used to be every two weeks, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and now, <laughs> as fans, it's we're all like, flux. will there be a Roland? Will there yeah. not be a Roland? Um, and when one drops, you go, there's a Roland! Mm. So what is Roland for people who don't know? <laughs> What, so roll what on. is it currently? Yeah, well, I, yeah, that's a good. It's a, maybe an unanswerable question at this moment. I'm interested in your thoughts on the new you know incarnation of this, yeah. but uh, I know you're a fan of Roll On. Roll On uh, was a different type of episode that we came up with that provided an opportunity for me to share some more of my opinion. Like I have these guests on and we talk, but like it's usually you know it's just all about the guests and the audience was like, we want to know what you think. I'm very uncomfortable just talking into a microphone alone, although I did do my first monologue episode recently. Uh, and I thought, well, let's get Adam on. I, ha- I always have a great rapport with him. He's fun. He's funny, super smart. He's an uh, investigative journalist who writes a lot for The New York Times and other outlets. He was David Goggins' co-author on both of David's books. Um, so, so we embarked upon this journey where every two weeks we would sit down and shoot the, shoot the, uh, I almost <laughs> shoot like, the breeze. I'm, a, I'm not used to being on the radio. Shoot the breeze. I didn't do it though. I caught myself. Come on. Anyway, uh, <laughs> shoot the shit. We talk about all different kinds of stuff. Um, and then this year we thought we would, uh, try something new, uh, because Adam is so good at what he does, yeah, yeah. which is talking to lots of people and investigating in a journalistic sense. Uh, we would tackle a topic and go deep on that and create these mini documentaries, which which has been met with mixed a mixed response, yeah, Chris. Yeah, yeah. You know, people pe- like the hardcore endurance athletes miss all the endurance talk. It depends on you know what demographic of the yeah, audience. Yeah. Um, I miss the show suppose, and tells because without your show and right. tells, because basically the the, the you're Ro- in for a treat then Ro- we're gonna we're gonna bring a little bit of that good because Ro- Roland basically it's ultra news sporting news in general amazing news from the world of sort of off piece sport and then it's usually a couple of um, interesting takes on things that are happening in the world sort of newsy kind of things and then it's basically Adam and Rich's show and tells what they've been watching what they've been reading what they've been buying which is really interesting then it's a Q and A with the with people listening all over the world without you and your podcast we wouldn't have watched the white lotus for example you know that just really have, but oh. that's just out in the like i was like is this news to anyone like yeah. this is the biggest it was the biggest show at least in the united states yeah well it was when you were watching it and then we got ahead of the game and then we started talking about it because you watched it but there's so much stuff out there now you know you can't you know you can, we like we have so many guests on now talking about various netflix various um warner brothers stuff various disney plus various paramount stuff that you have to just wait to to hear from somebody who mm. you think shares your taste and watch that because there's too not too, too much, much stuff yeah but th- there's there's a lot of soup out there like you say you know you can't see it for the soup and so when you show and tell white lotus we're all on it and but one of the great shows well ever. let me ask you then as uh, as the premier broadcaster uh what am i doing wrong or what would you like to see changed or I, or done differently it's not just me i mean, i just i liked i i like the original Okay. I, I think it's so simple when you and Adam are just in conversation because I want to be with you. And also when we when people cut to something that's pre-recorded or or um, packaged, you know, as we say, you, you sort of know what you're going to get. We're mm-hmm. in conversation. So I used to have a TV show that was on every Friday for years and it was live until somebody swore and then it was never live again. And, <laughs> um, and we used to have like the biggest bands in the world on, like uh-huh. Aerosmith, Elton John, Paul McCartney, like mega, mega, mega. And we, they used to have three between three and five numbers a, a show, musical numbers, and then guests in between, skits, blah, 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 
right? And no matter who was on, when we cut to the music, the viewing figures went down because people just knew what they were going to get. Mm. And I think the com spontaneous conversation and also, you know, I like the way that you, you're a brilliant conversationalist, you know, and you're so articulate and you and Adam, you know, they talk about chemistry, don't they? Chemistry just means do you get on with someone or not? And you clearly get on with him. Sure. And I, I just loved it. But hey, it's, you do what you what you like. It's your your <laughs> thing. It's not mine. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. Um, so that I've hogged everything. I've hogged you. Um, Rachel, Vassos. Vassos, speak to Rich Roll. Rich, um, it's, it's such a thrill to have you here. I know Chris <laughs> has said it, but it's a thrill for me as well. What is your... What is your morning routine, Rich? What do you swear by in the mornings? Do you, I don't know, do you athletic greens? I can see you've got all the, you know, the, the, the self-measuring stuff on. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first? Do you still you... wake up in a tent? Um, yeah, so I, I sleep in a tent. So there's that, right? I happen to live in Southern California where that is a reasonable thing, <laughs> at least to me. I don't know, maybe not to Because other people, you know, other people sleep in tents, but for different reasons. Yeah, it's a long story, yeah. but... The upshot of it is that I really like sleeping outdoors. I like the cold desert air at night. I now have a, like a nice glamping tent out by the containers. Um, but sleep is super important to me. So my morning routine generally begins the evening before winding down appropriately. So I do all these things to ensure a good night's sleep. I go to bed early. I wake up early. I don't set an alarm and I endeavor to the best of my ability to not have structured scheduled things in the morning like conference calls or zooms or appointments that are too early i try to uh you know have have that um be for any time after noon i don't always succeed life intervenes i have kids life is complicated etc uh, but that's a big piece of it so good night's sleep no alarm wake up when i wake up and my morning uh, routine typically entails um, quiet for the first hour. Um, I'll have a coffee, uh, but then meditation, uh, 10 to 20 minutes of that morning pages or specific writing. I'm working on a book project right now, so it's less about journaling and more kind of directed writing. That's super important. My most creative energy and my like, sort of clarity of thought is best in the early hours, and I try to protect that. Um, so I do that. And, uh, and then I will have a smoothie, Athletic Greens, of course, always finds its way into my smoothie. <laughs> Shout out, AG1. Yeah. Um, and that usually is dark leafy greens based, um, maybe some beet, beetroots, berries, coconut water, chia seeds, things like that, depending upon what I have in the kitchen. Um, and then I'm off. Uh, training is uh, the next thing that typically happens i'm dealing with a lower back issue Still. right now and i'm not able yeah yeah that's a whole long rabbit hole but um i'm benched a little bit which yeah. is very uncomfortable for me You're cycling well, um yeah do i can ride uh Swim. but i'm hampered in a way that i'm not used to so it's forcing me to slow down a little bit and i'm trying to uh learn what i'm meant to be learning through that uh and so i'm channeling a lot of that energy more into the writing right now um, so I'm not able to go out and just pound it hard like I'm used to, uh, but that's typically what I would do. That would mean a trail run, get out on the bike, et cetera, and going to the gym and doing these annoying functional strength yeah. exercises so the that I can't stand. Yeah, all that Isometric. kind of stuff. Um, Old man's exercises. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then the, the work day begins. Um, I eat light throughout the day, uh, like generally like a salad or 
smoothie, something like that, and I'll eat a larger dinner. Uh, but then it's off to the studio and prepping for a podcast or you know, just business stuff or whatever related to the show and the rest of the things that I'm involved in and or recording a podcast, et cetera. I generally record, I don't know, two or three of them a week and uh, just interfacing with my team and all that kind of you good, good stuff. You know, I've had to learn how to manage people. Like I'm, I'm more of a, like I, I consider myself a writer, actually. I like my quiet time. I want to be left alone. And now I'm in a position where I have to manage a bunch of people. Yeah. And it's not a skill that's natural to me. And I've learned. I think I'm okay at it. I have a lot of improvement there. Um, but that's been the kind of biggest growth curve in managing all the things that I do as not a, not a necessary evil, but a necessity because it allows me to free up time to come here and talk to you, et cetera. Like it used to be, I did everything. And so I would just be held hostage by the show. No matter where I travel to, I'm like up late at night, like editing or writing a blog post. And now I have a team that's really good at this kind of stuff and I trust them. It's taken a long time to get there, but they're incredibly skilled. And so I have a lot more um, bandwidth now to handle more projects. And that's really you know exciting because I did, get to a point where I came pretty close to burning out because yeah, yeah. I was I was holding on so tightly and I was a perfectionist about every little detail and it's it was not worth it. it's like it's that adage of like what you did to get to that point is not the thing that's going to take you to the next place yeah, yeah. and you have to let go of things that you know I was I was like the show is good because I do all the you know it's like yeah. you think and I became the bottleneck in everything and so you know from a business perspective that was a hard kind of pill to swallow and lesson to learn um, but I've walked through that and I'm really happy that we've made the investments that we have because my life the quality of my life is a lot better now listen we're almost out of time mm -hmm. it's not a podcast duration but it's pretty long for us this I know one. I can't keep it concise no no you, no to, I love it it's the way you, that's why it's so beautiful We've only got a minute left. You've got to, do you want to ask Rich anything, right? I'm sorry. I apologize. Is there any advice you would give to your younger self? You know, you had to really turn your life around mm -hmm. when you were 40. If you could go back maybe to when you were 20 or even when you were a kid, what would you say to yourself? Sure. Uh, oh, man, I could go for an yeah, hour. You've got on a this. minute. Here's one thing. <laughs> Stop drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the bottle down. That would be number one. Yeah. Uh, the other thing would be uh, just simply put to live lean, like to. Um, just keep your overhead as low as possible and to take whatever uh, resources you have and invest them in experience. I think your 20s are for um, going out into the world and learning. The idea that we're supposed to have it all figured out and know what we want to be and do at that age is preposterous. And I think the most interesting people of all the 750, whatever, you know, they all took a different path. They all like had a sense of believing in themselves. They could pursue the world. Like Kevin Kelly, like traveled all over Asia and yeah. just didn't do the normal thing. And now Not he's the most interesting guy. You <laughs> yeah. know? So do that. Yeah. Okay. Rich, a joy. A joy. I'm so happy to be here. This okay. is great. Can't we just keep going for a couple more hours? Well, Eddie Temple Morris, he loves you. I don't know if he loves you that much or not. Right. <laughs> no, he really does. He's our rich role. You have to get into the Rich Roll podcast. If you don't, then that's your problem, I suppose. <laughs> um, we love it. Uh, Adam, the team, love Rich. Um, can't wait to see you over there again. When do you head back? 
uh, Monday here for a couple more days. Yeah, for the coronation. Yeah, we're going to hang out. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you get up in the middle of the night, you can go and watch the coronation because they rehearse it every night this week. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. We'd cycle through it this morning. Oh, wow. It was hilarious. Oh, cool. Very cool. <laughs> You'd have to wait till Saturday. Yeah. Uh, Rich, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I love you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, you're welcome. What a lovely... We knew it was going to be lovely, didn't mm. we? And it was. Everybody happy? All right, everyone, yeah? Okay, good. That's it from cool. us for Wednesday. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow on the show tomorrow. Tuppence Middleton's going to be here. It's our last one for a few days. Uh, have a great Wednesday. Uh, Ta-da. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.